Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week, we're joined by the passionate and knowledgeable Kyle Dreyer. Kyle is an insurance coordinator who holds various licenses in the financial services field. Apart from that, he's the moderator for the YouTube channel Dungeon Dudes and the co-founder of Quarter Life Gaming YouTube channel. In part one of our two-part conversation, we discuss some options people might have in building their financial futures. Sit back and enjoy the show. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Great to talk to you. Oh, it's, it's great to talk to you, man. I'm, I'm so glad that we we're able to do this. We've been talking about uh, doing this for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I had found out by happenstance that you were already involved with podcasts and media and YouTube channels, and I had no idea. And of course, it's just another example of how if you stay a secret agent, and you don't <laughs> tell anybody what you're up to. You have no idea what other people are up to. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, I do remember having that conversation with you again. I think it was back at 3030. We were talking about microphones, like what That's kind right. of mic do you, you know, should, should I get or like, what do you use? And like, yeah, it's fun stuff talking all the tech and, and, and jazz for this. But like, I got to say, man, like, I'm, I'm really like, you know, I, I do consider you a friend. But at the same time, like, we don't like I know you through Neil. And through like Ryan and stuff like that. And like, you know, um, we haven't, you know, I, I, we're not like at like super, super close, but I got to say, like, I feel proud of you, right. For like what you've done, like, cause I've been listening to every podcast that you drop. Right. Oh, awesome, and man. like there it's, yeah, no, the podcast is awesome. Right. And like, I've genuinely enjoyed every one and all of your guests are amazing. And like your conversations are great. And like, it's just very relatable. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that, especially coming from somebody who has been at this for a few years now um, and has a lot of time under their belt. So, uh, and somebody that, yeah, you're right. We, we haven't, we're not super close. You know, it's coming one of those uh, closer relationships through a tertiary, you know, existence, but I mean, that's, uh, that's high praise. And I really appreciate that, man. And, and thanks for listening uh, as well. I'm glad that people are getting something out of it. Yeah, no, my pleasure. I mean, and the goal, I guess, you know, eventually is, you know, to start monetizing it, right? Absolutely. Um, like, cause that would be, I mean, that's, I guess the, the long-term goal, the top tier thing that anyone starting out in something like this would do, uh, would, would want, would be to monetize, whether it's Twitch or YouTube or, you know, uh, podcasting in, in, in one form or another, right. To, you know, try to earn that extra income. <laughs> hey, like, yeah, you're not going to turn away money. Right. I think that that's exactly. the interesting thing. This is the closest thing that I've felt, uh, in the many things that I've undertaken so far in my life that feels like it's as close to uh, find what you love and do it. You know, I mean, I, I love picking the brains of people who have experienced things, uh, you know, in different fields that I have. Uh, I have a curiosity that reaches, like it really has no bounds. And, uh, you know, as I was starting to touch base with you and find out what you were doing, I was starting to find out the complexities of who you are as well. Because as we were talking about you know, the gaming, which we're going to get into and your YouTube channel, which is exciting and, and pretty fun, man. I was checking it out today, which uh, really, really fun stuff. And I want to pick your brain on the, on the gaming industry, mm-hmm. but I also wanted to know about like who you were and what you do. And, and yeah. I knew that you worked in finance, but I actually didn't know if it was a job or if it was something that was a personal, personal path, a passion for you. And it sounds like it is a 
somewhat of a passion for you. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now with, uh, if you want to mention the company, you're more than welcome to as well. I don't get any kickbacks from anybody, but if you want to keep that on the download, that's Fair totally enough. fine as well. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, and you're right. Like it's, it's a bit of both, right? It started mm -hmm. off as a passion and, uh, you know, like everyone, I guess we've all had a lot of passions and, uh, you know, some things degrade over time or with, you know, oversaturation, right. Uh, for me, music was an example. I was really passionate about music. I went to university for it. I just every day with, you know, scales and theory. And four years later, I freaking hated music. But, uh, you know, with finance, it, 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 it's not really the same, right? Like I've always loved it. I've always been fascinated by money, right? And like, not just, oh, I want money so I can spend it, right? Like, you know, that's always fun too. But like, just like how it works, right? How our economy works. And it, how important it is to learn how to save, right? And like personal finance, especially, well, for everyone, but like, especially when you're, you know, younger and you don't care about it, right? That's the most important time to be saving, right? Um, so like I got into this industry because I was just like, you know what? I really interested in investments and stocks and bonds and money markets and mutual funds and ETFs and things like that. Right. And like, I originally wanted to be a portfolio manager, like someone who, you know, manages a portfolio of investments for a large firm or company and goes in and makes those trades. And, um, my parents recommended that uh, I talk to their financial advisor and, uh, maybe look into doing that. And so I did, you know, that ended up getting me into insurance, life insurance, health insurance, critical illness, disability, things like that. And uh, also some investment selling. Right. Um, so the unfortunate part for me, like I was kind of young and stupid <laughs> and uh, you know, it wasn't really the career that I wanted because it's, it's a sales gig. Right. And I found, you know, you know what, that's fine. Sales is fine. The important thing is I can talk to people. I can educate them on, you know, how they can save their money, where they can invest, how they can grow that wealth so that they can retire early or go on that vacation or buy that house that they want. Right. Like that was my goal with every client that I had was to make sure that they walked away in a better situation with the tools they needed and the knowledge they needed to make more money, to save better, to protect themselves and their families, or to have those conversations with other professionals and not be, you know, for lack of a better word, duped or manipulated. Because I did find that, you know, there were, there, there were times when I was in that role that I just felt really uncomfortable with some of the tactics and stuff. Right. And, you know, so I feel like I'm monopolizing the conversation here. Hey, not um, at all, man. This is, <laughs> this is your time as much as it's mine. And, yes. and I just, I want the audience to be able to pick and, and learn what they can. So, and, and me Fair in the enough. process. So no okay. worries at all. Don't Fair apologize. Um, well, anyway, yeah. Like, you know, it was, it was very sales oriented and I'm not a salesperson, right? Like, I, like I said, my goal was to do what was absolutely 100% in the best interest of the person I'm speaking with, right? And that does not translate into dollars for the salesperson, right? Yeah. It never does. It never does. And like, I talked to some of my colleagues and my managers and stuff about this. And I was like, well, you know, we're supposed to be, we have this fiduciary responsibility to do what's in the best interest of our client, right? I would hear things like, well, it's in the best interest of your client if you're always around to advise them. So you need to do, you know, take care of yourself first. And that was this common thread was, you know, take care of yourself first, right? You know, if you need to sell this client something, 
so that you get enough money to, you know, pay your bills, then it's in their best interest because it keeps you there helping them. Right. That sounds like and, uh, an interesting justification. Yeah. And there was, there was a lot of things like that. And like, and I had this one manager, I'm not going to name any names, but sure. like what really got me one day was, um, you know, cause it's cold calling and, and sales and stuff like that. And I'm not an aggressive person when it comes to sales and stuff, but this one manager came in and I had been making cold calls for like hours out of like to businesses and out of like yellow pages and stuff. And just, you know, hammering your social network like they you know tell you to do the old war market yeah the old war market <laughs> and this manager comes in and he's like how's it going kyle and i was like i mean i'm making calls but you know and like i've been going on meetings but you know i'm having trouble closing and, and all this and he's like okay you gotta remember that you are a shark and they're all prey and your job is to kick down the door step on your client's throat and shove the policy in their mouth mm -hmm. and i was like that's, that's not my job. Mm -hmm. I don't want that to be my job. And so, you know, between the feelings that generated in me and the fact that, you know, I wasn't really making money because I'm not selling, uh, I, you know, quit and I went to work for, uh, one of the big banks here in Canada and, um, on the, on their insurance team. So, you know, and I, I do love insurance. I think that it's a profoundly valuable product and a profoundly misunderstood product by most people. It's not always sold the way it should be. Don't get me wrong. There are great advisors out there and great insurance salesmen that generally do what is best in the best interest of their client. Right. But to succeed like that, you need to already have a ton of clients or you need to know uh the whales right all of the the one the top one percenters right you know and do business with them but uh yeah so like that's kind of you know how i got to where i am now right in, in the insurance industry um yeah like i have been thinking lately about doing um a little course like a free course just for people who are interested on the basics of personal finance, right? Because mm -hmm. I found that a lot of people that I speak to, uh, they don't, they don't know, they don't understand. They think, Hey, uh, I'll go to the bank and I'll put my money in a savings account and that'll be enough. Right. What opened my eyes to this whole kind of world was when I was around 23 years old or so, right. I was living with my parents. I was working, uh, at, uh, this company in Bolton called Husky. Uh, it was a, you know, decent job. I was banking all kinds of money. I was making money faster than I could spend it. And I didn't know what to do with it. Right. So I went to my bank and I said, Hey, what do I do with this money? And they're like, well, open up a tax-free savings account. It's great. Cause you won't get taxed on any of your, you know, on anything, right. You don't get the government's not going to charge you tax on anything that grows in this account. And I was like, awesome. And they put me into a high interest savings account within a TFSA making a 0.25% interest rate. And I was like, awesome, free money, right? Yeah. Which most people say, yeah. <laughs> most people say, right? And it wasn't until like a year or two later, I realized, hey, you know what? Like inflation annually is on average like 2%, right? So I'm losing money in this tax-free savings account. And, mm -hmm. you know, did anyone at my bank tell me, hey, maybe you should put it in a mutual fund or, you know, buy an ETF or, or, or do something with it if you're looking for growth? No, no. And, um, you know, that's where I was like, you know what, this is what the trusted professionals are telling people. Right. And I, I want to educate people. I think it's amazing because I mean, I, uh, the insurance industry and financial services as a whole is, is fraught with people that have 
all sorts of different motives. Mm-hmm. And some of those have to do with the client. And like you said, a lot of them, unfortunately, have to do with the pocketbook. And anytime that you're dealing with a commission-driven business and you're dealing with those people who truly need to put bread on their table, they are sometimes going to say and do things that might not necessarily be in the best interest of their client to sell a product. Not to uh, you know excuse the companies as well, because they have their bottom lines and their stockholders that they want to impress and make sure that they're making their thousands, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, you know, every year uh, for those for those companies. So it's good when you take that approach. I think education is the key. Sometimes that education leads people to different products that you might not necessarily have at your disposal which is, uh, you know, is another animal altogether. So you're dealing with insurance, your, your classification is insurance coordinator. What do you actually do as an insurance coordinator? Because you talked about investment as well. So yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, well, the investment and in, in stuff is like my own personal kind of passion. Right? I see, okay. The, on the uh, insurance side, like my, my, my day job is boring and like, you know, I'm, I feel underutilized. I have all my licenses and stuff, but like my day job is, you know, control C, control V, just copy, paste, copy, paste. We have uh, all kinds of estate planning specialists, which is just another word for insurance salesmen that cover all the regions in Canada for our bank. And all of the insurance policies they sell, right, uh, get put into our back office system. And it is my role to uh, keep that system updated. So the all the different insurance carriers will send us annual statements or payment reminder notices or, you know, notices of increases in policy costs or beneficiary changes, all these different things. And um, we have to make sure that I'm sending those notices out to the EPSs so that they, un- like, they know in case there's anything that needs to be, they need to take action on um, and to keep our back office system updated and make sure that all the addresses for the clients are correct and the dates of birth. And if anyone dies, we've marked them as deceased and <laughs> things like that. Right. So it, it's very clerical, very administrative work. And yeah, it, it's nothing, you know, in, interesting, unfortunately. Um, That's okay but, though. Your yeah. foot, your foot is in the door. And so now you have talked about insurance and you've talked about investments is there one that kind of draws you more than the other, or is it more like the full financial picture that, that intrigues you the most? You know what? I love all of it. I find it all fascinating. It was originally investments that got me into the industry as I feel like it usually, like, that's usually the case. I think for people it's, it's ooh, usually, the, it's usually the honey, money. isn't it? Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> what it is. Right. Cause you know, there's this big mis- misunderstanding or this misconception about insurance, right? And some of the benefits that it can have for people, right? You know, people, um, you know, I, I, I've met with people who, you know, they refuse to get insurance because it's uh, uh, bad luck, right? Like if you buy a life insurance policy, you're essentially, you know, putting a, a, a death sentence on yourself, right? Or, you know, for younger people, it's, you know, I don't have a family yet to protect. I don't have a mortgage that might need to be covered, right? I don't need to be spending all of this extra money to for an insurance policy on, on who for what right and a lot of people see it as wasted money because it's for a product they themselves aren't going to be able to use right mm-hmm. and there are of course forms of life insurance that have investment components built into them right uh cash values that can be used while you're still alive right insurance policies can be offered up as collateral for at banks for loans to get well whatever you need the loan for right um you know, so there, there are, you know, living uses for it. 
some of these longer term policies or these larger, more expensive policies, they're useful for, you know, older people who have uh, a lot of wealth that they're trying to pass down to their generation and they want to, you know, uh, uh, compensate for all the probate tax that they're going to be hit with when they go and, and, and things like that. So like there are all kinds of different strategies and stuff. I think uh, I think that's one of the things that's always intrigued me about financial services and and uh, financial planning is uh, is the lack of education. I know we've used that word a few times, but it really is what is missing out there. I mean, you do have like on the one side term insurance, and then on the other side, you have your you know whole life, universal life, and all those products. And if you don't understand the way that they work, first of all, if you don't understand, you're not going to make a move. Period. Yeah. Right. Unless somebody comes in and convinces you. And that's where the salespeople can kind of come in and take advantage of a situation sometimes. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, is that, you know, there are uses for some of these, these different products. One of the things that you touched on is a, is estate planning, you know, mm -hmm. for those whole life, universal life policies, you know, it, it is useful for that, for that purpose. It might not necessarily be useful for everybody and every meeting, you know, every part of their life. And, that's where, you know, some variety and stuff like that and some options and some education can go a long way, right? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Right. I mean, like myself, personally, I, I when I was, I, again, like 24 years old, I think like a year after I opened that bank account, I got myself a, a permanent life insurance policy, right? I was young, I was healthy, and it was cheap, right? Compared to getting it, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, right? I pay for it for 20 years. After 20 years, I stop paying for it. The cash values continue to grow. Those dividends keep coming in, right? But, you know, by the time I'm 40, whatever, you know, I don't have to pay for it anymore. And then mm -hmm. it goes down to, you know, my family, my spouse, a charity that I want, whatever, or I cash it out if in an emergency, right? Like there are uses for things. And yeah, you're right. Like the education, again, to use that word, uh, is just lacking. It's not something that's ever taught to us in schools. Any like, you know, they don't teach us how to do our taxes in school, right? They don't, you know, teach us about inflation in school, right? Uh, like high school level. I mean, like, you know, mm -hmm. of course, if you're going to take economics in university or something, you'll learn. But like, it's basic things that could make a huge difference in people's lives if they just had that knowledge and it's not given it's you know forced on us to find it ourselves the hard way more often than not yeah right? usually when time has run out because two of the things that you hit on which i think are unbelievably important is age you know one thing when it comes to insurance is that if you do get to a point where you're older or you're uninsurable because of health purposes mm -hmm. then you're you're in a bind you know yeah. you have to make sure that you're self-insured at that point in time which means that at the very least if you're looking to cover your your, your death benefit it's ten to fifteen thousand dollars just yep. to put you in something yeah. Or into, you know, whether that's in that's, the universe or in a box, it's, it's, it costs money to die. Yeah. That's the minimum, right? Minimum. That's like, yeah. And people don't understand that either. Cause like, how often do you, how often does your average person think about it? Right. How often, you know, at what age do you start going, Hmm, I wonder how much it's going to cost people to bury me when I die. Yeah. When right? you're old and you're uninsurable, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just, just this vicious circle, right? Yeah. It, yeah. Um, it's well, it's it's hard. I think it's hard, right? It's hard for young people to wrap their head around something that they don't foresee themselves using anytime soon. You know, car insurance is is easier to wrap your head around because, well, first of all, you just have to have it, right? Yeah. 
which is mandatory. It's, one of, it's yeah. mandatory. And you might go your whole life without needing that car insurance, but you pay for it every month because it's mandatory. Mm-hmm. You know, life insurance in a lot of ways, I think should be mandatory because you never know when that is going to happen. You don't know what's going to take place. And you know what? Listen, at the end of the day, insurance isn't for you. It's for your survivors. Now, the yeah. level of insurance that you need that's a different conversation altogether because yeah. not everybody out of the shoot needs $500,000 or a million dollars coverage. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at a term policy or even two or 200, $300,000 for, for a uh, cash value policy. Yeah. If your insurable needs are not there, then you don't need to be buying products that are not necessary for you. Right. So exactly. I think that that's really important too. Yeah, it, it is. Right. And like, again, that's part of the conversation that I want to have with people. So they do understand, you know, when they sit down with someone, uh, you know, who's trying to sell them a policy, right. They, they, they're coming again from a point of strength, from a position of knowledge, and they know what their needs are and what, you know, how to navigate that. Right. Um, the other thing that, you know, uh, we touched on a little bit is like the living benefit policies, right. Things like critical illness insurance, things like disability insurance, stuff that people do benefit. Right. And, you know, again, it's this, uh, you know, I don't want to generalize over generalize about, you know, people, but like, I found that a lot of the people when I was younger or when, when I was meeting with, you know, people that were in their, you know, teens, twenties, thirties, right there, you know, Hey, what happens if you, uh, you know, break your leg or something happens and you go blind and you can't do your job anymore? Or what happens if you have a heart attack or a stroke or get cancer? Now you're in a wheelchair. Do you have enough money to, you know, accessorize your house the way that you need, right? To, you know, get a vehicle that you need, right? Like, how is your life going to change when these things happen? And are you going to be able to afford those changes? And, uh, you know, again, those are things that people go, oh, you know what, I'm young and fit and healthy, and I I don't need that. I'd rather have the money now, right? And, like, another thing, too, is just, like, you know, people, I've heard stories, right, of people coming Mm. from, like, lower income uh, situations, right? Um, You know, uh, single parent families, things like that, right? And they grow up not having a lot of money, right? Things are always tight. And then when that child grows up and gets their first job, and now they have ex- like ex- like uh, disposable income, they dispose of it, <laughs> right? Because, you know, this is new and exciting for them, right? And like, they just, they don't have the experience of, you know, saving and they don't understand, you know, the value of it, right? And like, some of those habits and mentalities can persist into your, well, midlife, right? Or later for some people, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just something that's never done until again, like you said, it's too late or close to it. Yeah. Habits are a fascinating thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people talk about personality, you know, personality traits and, and the way parenting comes about and you're, you're learning it from your parents. You're also learning your financial habits from your upbringing as well. Uh, You know, coming from a house that didn't have any money when I started out in the world, I just wanted to be a forklift driver. So that way I can make money and buy toys. That's it. Right. And, and then I was fortunate enough to meet the right people, you know, start to expand my horizons, realize that, oh, just because you're brought up a certain way doesn't mean that that necessarily has to be the way that you bring up your children or the way that you live your life. But if you don't have those examples for you, then you do have to have those professionals that kind of guide you along. And I think that that's one of the things that I think is unbelievably value valuable is that if you can't at least equip yourself with one financial planner who has 
the ability to look at your whole financial picture, then you better surround yourself with two or three people that understand that this is how much I'm paying for taxes right now. This is how much that, you know, I've gotten my investments. This is how much I'm insured for mm-hmm. and start to paint that picture because the, the thing that I've found uh, from personal experience, you know, with myself and other people is that if you have everything spread out to six, seven, eight different companies and none of them are talking to each other, you don't have a financial game plan. I'm sorry. No, that's no, just the reality. Your portfolio is too diversified. Too diversified. And, and, everybody is, and everybody is doing their job. Everyone is doing their job. They're trying to maximize your dollar for their product. But right? they don't understand your full picture. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, yeah. And if they don't understand it and you don't understand it because you're relying on all of them to do it, you know, it's, it's chaos, right? But I, I mean, I'm of the opinion that it's important to get you know, those opinions from multiple people, regardless, right? Even if you have, you know, one person that is, you know, this person is my financial advisor, they handle everything for me, like, you know, get some opinions from, you know, the person at this bank, the person at this company, right, just to get a different viewpoint, right? Like, the more viewpoints you have, the more knowledge you have yourself, the better off you're going to be. Oh, I had another point when you were talking about, oh yeah, it was the upbringing that you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it is, the upbringing is a funny thing on how it affects us, right? And how, um, cause like some people, you know, I, I've seen both scenarios where, you know, people grow up to be just like their parents, right? Like for me, my, myself, I was kind of the opposite, right? Like, you know, growing up, like my parents, you know, my, my dad made pretty good money, right? But he didn't save it, right? He grew up in a household with very little money. Uh, well, average money, right? But like, you know, his parents didn't save his father, his, my grandfather's motto was always, you know, drink while the tap is flowing because you never know when it's going to get turned off. So whenever they had money, they spent it, right? They went out to dinner, they did the movies, they did whatever, right? And my dad kind of kept that up. He didn't really save, right? His mentality was, well, I can't take it with me if I die. So I'm going to spend it all right now. Lo and behold, like, you know, they had nothing when they died, my parents, right? So but me growing up in, you know, that household where everything was being spent, I've always been like, no, I'm going to save everything, right? I'm going to do everything on a budget, right? Like, you know, if I'm drinking wine or if I'm drinking beer, it's usually, you know, I got it from a box because it's cheaper, right? right? Box wine or I've ordered it like, you know, I've had batches of it made like in bulk. So it's, you know, $2 for a bottle of wine, Right. Like, you know, I'm always getting saving things on, on deals and stuff like that. And like, you know, always trying to get the most out of every penny. Right. And then save the rest of it. Absolutely. Um, right. And like, that's just something that, you know, I went in the opposite direction of the way I was brought up. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you, you know, I, I don't know. I just find that interesting, you know, how the upbringing affects people so differently. Right. It's, it's something that's boggled my mind for years as somebody who is massively curious about what makes people tick and what makes mm-hmm. people who they are, uh, trying to figure that out is damn near impossible. There's I really know. no rhyme or reason for it because there's just so many factors that come into it. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why you and I should be different from our parents yeah. uh, and, and siblings are you know very similar and then siblings are completely different from one another and similar in other traits. And it's just it, fascinating. It's so fascinating. People are, are a unique creature. Yeah. The, um, the, other, the other point, though, that I wanted to make as well in, ta- in terms of talking about younger people getting started in finan- you know, personal finance is 
that time in the game gives you that ability to compound your investment growth that much more, right? And that's the thing that you can't get back is, well, in anything you do is time, right? Yeah. So the younger you get started, the more ability you have for your money to compound itself, right? Before you have to actually start drawing on it. Yeah. The sooner you start saving, the less you have to save, yeah. right? It's essentially how it is. And um, I'm glad you brought that up because people are uh, unaware of some of the things that our government does to just give us money, right? Mm -hmm. The RESP, the Registered Education Savings Plan that, you know, uh, people can open up for their children. And, you know, it's all money that's saved. All the growth is tax-free, just like your RRSP and your TFSA. Uh, but it's designed just for post-secondary education, be it a trade school, university, a college, an apprenticeship, whatnot. But like in addition to that already awesome bonus of tax-free savings, uh, there are like the Canadian government gives out learning grants and education bonds, just free money that they will give out. It's up to nine grand combined over the mm -hmm. lifetime of the, of the person. Like, could you imagine like, for me personally, having an extra nine grand when I went to university would have been a pretty big help, right? Absolutely. And that's all absolutely free. That can be, yeah. you just have to apply for it. And people don't know about it or they just don't bother doing it. Yeah. And it's just a matter of obviously being advised, but I mean, it's really as simple as checking off that box, just registering it, just like a registered retirement savings plan, right? Just like your RRSP. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that I love the most about, I'm glad that you mentioned RESPs. Because uh, I have a I have a personal interest in in those um, over the heritage plans that that are sold to people when their mm. kids are born, um, the limitations on those uh, those group education savings plans that are sold by your Gerbers and whoever's selling them now are unbelievably restrictive as opposed to taking matters into your own hands and and having your your investment of choice registered as an RESP right. Yeah, because as you know, anything that that's registered can go in there, like mutual funds, segregated yeah. funds. You know, there's any number of things that can yeah. be RESPs, and then you have the ability and you can control what you do with that money down the road, as opposed to some of those group scholarship trust funds where they say that if you don't go to X, Y, and Z school, you're going to lose that money, and it's just going to stay in the pool for everybody else. And that's how yeah. those funds have stayed as active as, as they have for so long. Yeah, exactly. Right. And like the benefits of DIY investing are significant, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? As long as you know how to do it and you know that you can do it. Yeah. Um, and people don't understand either. Like, I'm glad you mentioned, well, we brought up the RSPs and the TFSAs because I've spoken to people who are, you know, they don't understand that those are just, those are shields against tax. And you can shield anything from it. You can shield your mutual funds. You can shield your ETFs. You can shield your stocks, your bonds. Most people just think, oh, it's just a savings account. Yeah. You know, the analogy that I've always liked using is the old shoebox, right? Like just, yeah. just picture your, your RASP or RRSP as a shoebox and anything can go in there. And then once you put that cover on the shoebox, government can't see it until yeah. you take it out. And that, that's the thing that makes me laugh is when people are like, yeah, but the government's always going to get their money. When I go, when I retire, they're going to take their cut. It's like, yeah, they are, but they're going to be taking it out. You're going to be taxed based on the amount of money you take out that year. Like when you hit retirement, you have a million dollars sitting in your RSP. You're yeah. not going to take it all out. And when you hit it, 66. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> and that it, it's so important. Like that's like me personally, I don't even use my RRSP right now. Right. 
because mm -hmm. like you got to think on average, like over 30, 35 years, inflation causes everything to double, the price of everything to double, right? So if I'm making, for sake of argument, $40,000 a year now, to live this same lifestyle when I retire, I'm going to need $80,000, right? A year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, does it make sense for me to pay tax now on the $40,000 or when I'm pulling it out, like that same dollar is going to be taxed higher, right? When I pull it out in retirement for my RRSP, if I'm taking out more than what I'm making now, right? Yeah. Further to that point is the fact that if you are working with a professional who is guiding you properly, mm -hmm. by the time you hit retirement time, your living expenses should be way down. Exactly. You, know, you shouldn't have a mortgage anymore. You shouldn't really have all the expenses that you would normally have, you know, as you're building your wealth and so forth. Mm -hmm. So the $40,000 you needed to live on today, you might actually only need $30,000 when you retire, depending yep. on the, st the style of retirement that you want, right? So again, having those on top of that, you also get your 10% free amounts each, each, each year. So you yep. can take out 10% of your retirement funds without being taxed. Mm -hmm. These are all things that a professional, if they know what they're talking about, will guide you on. When you get to retirement, it's not a matter of washing your hands with them. You yeah. still have to walk them through retirement, right? Until there's no money left or that person is not there anymore. Yeah. And if they're not there, hopefully you're dealing with their family, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's the goal for them, right? Yeah. But yeah, no. And it, it, it is, you know, it, it's very important, right? And like, you know, if you, you know, do only $30,000, again, 30 years from now, you'll need 60, right? So, you know, it, it's just, it, it really reinforces the importance of saving and making sure like, you know, you hear all sorts of things, you know, um, you know, via YouTube or commercials or, you know, all of these, uh, these, uh, or Kevin O'Leary's and, uh, you know, professional financial people and investors and, you know, shark tank personalities, right. Of, oh yeah, you should have a hundred thousand dollars saved by the time you're 30 and then save a hundred thousand dollars every 10 years after that, you know, to ensure that you can retire at 65, right. Or, you know, make sure that you save, uh, you know, one times your income by this amount and then two times by this amount and so on. Like everyone has a different strategy for, for what it is. Right. But you can't just like cookie cutter, that kind of shit for, for people, right. Everyone's situation is going to be different. What does retirement look like for you? Right. Like is retirement for you, you know, doing absolutely nothing, sitting on your ass and watching Jerry Springer? Or, you know, do you want to have, you know, a little side business, a part time job that is earning you more income? Or like, you know, are you going to travel the world? Or like, you know, all these things are going to take different amounts. Right. And like it's, it's, it needs to be a personalized plan for everyone. You're absolutely correct, man. I couldn't agree anymore. I mean, everybody's situation is unique. And if you don't have that plan, that's talking about all of those things and adjusting for inflation, like you talked about, because that's a big thing that people miss as well. If you don't have somebody advising you on all of that, then I, I guess my question would be, why not? And yeah. get that person because you need to talk. And those people exist out there. I know them personally. Um, you know, these individuals actually care they're making money. They're mm -hmm. not concerned about making money. They're making money yeah. and they're selling you products that are actually useful for you. The DIY thing that you mentioned, I, what I would do is I would even say the DIY component of it for me is making sure that you're educating yourself 
on top of what other people are telling you. Just like you said, mm-hmm. you know, get second, third, fourth, five, six opinions. Who cares? Right. Yeah. You know, don't just resign to the fact that this person has a bunch of letters after their name as being the God of money, mm-hmm. you know, question them, talk to them about it. Gee, at the end of the day, this is your cash. Yeah. Well, and like, yeah, exactly. Well, and like when I say DIY, like I don't mean that, you know, oh, everyone should be out there picking their own stocks and using a discount broker to make their own portfolio. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Dude, if that's not your thing, that's not your thing. Like, it's my thing. I'm interested in it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, when I say DIY, like, you know, it's, you know, go out there and make sure, you know, if you don't want to manage all that stuff, if you don't care about it and, you know, go get someone to get a a mutual fund or a portfolio of mutual funds for you or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and manage it for you. Have an actively managed thing. Yeah. Like, you know, it'll be a little bit more expensive as far as, you know, your management expense ratios and they take a cut every, but it's a, it's a small cut, right. For the most part, like, you Mm -hmm. know, depending on your product and, you know, if you have a mutual fund or a segregated fund or an ETF, it'll be different. Right. But I mean, it's a small price to pay if, you know, you want someone who knows what they're doing to be managing your money for you, right? Instead of, you know, stressing about doing it yourself. Yeah, I I agree. I am a fan of paying professionals for their advice and their time. Mm -hmm. Uh, As much as, you know, part of the reason doing this podcast is talking to people about their experiences and the things that they do, because I don't have enough time in my day to learn what everybody does and yeah. what everything, how everything works. So what makes you think that you can learn every aspect of finance and, and be good at it, especially considering what you said earlier, you don't start teaching you this until, they don't start teaching you this until post-secondary. And that's if you're selecting those courses, right? right? So this stuff is not inherently known. So I, I, yeah, so the DIY you're saying is basically just, you know, use your mind and go out there and ask questions and critically think about things. Just think about it, right? Be responsible for your own future and your own finance, right? It doesn't mean you have to do all the work. Just know what's going on. It sounds to me, dude, like you have a passion for this, man. My my question is, why the hell are you not doing financial planning? Like, why aren't you doing financial advising? Why are you not in that realm right now? Hey, you know what? Like it's something like I always toy with the idea of trying to go back to it. Like I was a financial advisor for three years. Right. Mm -hmm. And like to share just a a little bit of my personal bullshit with y'all. Please do. Like when I, when I quit Husky, right. I had, you know, I was 24, 25 years old and like I had amassed six figures of like net worth for myself, which is pretty freaking good for someone in their mid twenties. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have enough. I'll be safe. I'm going to try this new thing. Right. I'm going to be a financial advisor. Right. I struggled with it so hard. Right. And I did everything that they, they told, they told you, right. I read all the books. I listened to all of the, you know, motivational speakers. They said, you know, you need, you need clients. You need to buy books of clients. I went to other advisors. Hey, here's X amount of dollars. Give me some leads, right. People that you don't have time to spend, you know, they're, they're too small for you now. Cause you only deal with big people. Right. So give me that block of, you know, your old clients that you don't service anymore and I'll service them. Right. I, went door to door to, you know, people, I did flyers and advertisements and social media hammering and calling the phone books and the businesses and walking door to door to businesses and, and everything. And I just, I sucked at sales, (laughs) right? That's, that's what it was. Right. And the thing is it's a sales industry, 
Um, and you know, like there's the, uh, the, the, I, I forget the word for it, the cynic cynical part of me or whatever it wants to go. Oh, you know, you were 20 something years old. No one wants to trust someone a third their age with all their money. And you know, Oh, they want, you know, the old experienced guy who has, you know, 10 years of experience servicing high net worth clients that, you know, that's, that's the person they're going to trust with, you know, selling them a product. Right. And they, they look at me and they go, what does this kid know? Right. Like, you know, he just got a license and now he's trying to sell me some insurance. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and there is a, there is a stigma, right? Like I, I feel like I feel bad almost during this conversation because I feel like I'm trash talking this industry that I love and like these advisors and stuff. They're not all like that. Like there's a lot oh, of yeah, really it's just good your personal experience, there, right? right? It's, yeah. it's just the things that resonated with me. Right. And like the, the, the red flags and stuff that I saw, like there were great advisors. I had great mentors, right. When I was an advisor. Um, but I also saw what the successful people did. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It just, it made me uncomfortable. And like, I, I, I come at it now and I'm like, all right, I'm with a bank, right. I could probably, I have my mutual fund license. I could probably easily find a, a position as a financial security, like a financial services rep or a financial advisor. Right. But doing this for a bank, I'm going to have quotas. Right. They're going to be like, well, how many GICs did you sell this month? Right. Well, how many people need a freaking GIC? Right. Not very many. Right. No. Right. Oh, well, you got to sell 50 GICs every month to meet your sales quota. Well, you know what? Like I'm dealing with, you know, GICs are a great product. If you have a million dollars and you're just wanting capital preservation, you don't want to lose that to market risk. Right. right. Go get yourself a GIC. Right. You know, if you're trying to grow money for your future, you don't want that. You want uh, uh, some sort of mutual, some sort of market exposure to get some growth, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I, I guess that's kind of it, right? It's like, I, I feel uncomfortable doing it for a bank. I don't feel like I'm, I'm insecure about my own knowledge, right? Like, you know, I, I'm happy enough with it for me, mm -hmm. right? But like, there's this thing where like, even this, this little course that I told you I'm trying to put together, like when talking to people, I'm always like, hey, this is, me, my experience, my opinions from stuff I've researched, right? Like take with it what you will. Like I feel it, it, it's nerve wracking, right? Chris to, you know, take 20 grand from someone and be like, and they go, okay, here, I'm trusting you with, you know, my life savings, please be good to it. Right. And if I make a wrong move, right? Like it sucks for the client, but then like, I, I have the guilt, right? Like I can't sleep well at night knowing mm -hmm. that I've made a, a bad decision for someone and I've jeopardized their savings, right? Like yeah. money that they, you know, work, you know, spent their blood, sweat and tears for. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that holds me back, I guess, I bit. It's just, you know, the lack of experience, like, you know, they, it would be a lot more courses, right? They want you to go have, like you said, a whole alphabet behind your name before you're trustworthy, right? Yeah. All that's very expensive and it's, it's a big investment. And, you know, the last time I made that investment, I lost about six figures, right? So, yeah, and that that's, uh, it's tough, you know, because the only thing that we really know is, is our experiences, right? Yeah. So we, we have to draw on those. I, I think that what you're doing is great right now, though, man, like it, you're talking about something that you're passionate about and with with no reservations, because you're not, there's no risk right now. You're not telling people this is the way to, to being wealthy, you're saying, these are some ideas yeah. that you might not be aware of, look into them, they might work for you, they might not, 
Um, I, I think that that's a good step. Listen, mm -hmm. I agree with you, man. Like I'm not a salesperson either. And I, I've, I've never been comfortable in that type of a position. Yeah. Even if you can talk passionately about something doesn't necessarily mean that you have to mm -hmm. do that for a living. You yeah. know, I think I've definitely felt at this point in time that all the things that you experience, you end up taking with you in one way or another to the next thing that you, you undertake. So, I mean, Absolutely. and now here you're sitting here with me now, we've known each other for probably what, seven years, maybe six years. I don't even know oh, when God. we met, man. I, like, I know time it, is so, so elusive to me. I, it was, it, it's yeah. It flies by so fucking it does. fast. It like, does. It was definitely a 30, 30. I think that we met a hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. 30, 30 seems to be like that. That's place. our place. It's, it's going to be <laughs> yeah. our, it's, it's going to be considered our, our place. Yeah. <laughs> it's our forever place. But I mean, yeah. even, even from then to now, um, you know, we, we were both younger at that point in time and, and just having those conversations, you're, you're a completely different person. The confidence is building in you. Mm -hmm. I can see it and it's oh, coming that's, through. That's the wine. Don't oh, worry. damn it. Damn it. I thought I was onto something. <laughs> Sorry, go on, go on. No, no, but it's it's absolutely you can you can tell that you're becoming more comfortable talking about financial, you know, the financial side side of things because you are talking very confident with me. Um, I've got a little bit of knowledge on finances and and I you and I are going back and forth with it. So continue to grow that, man. I think it's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Well, and like the thing is, like when I first met you, I was probably an advisor. I was probably a financial advisor when I first met oh, you, right? Because okay. it was that long ago. Because I've only been in my current role for four years, right? Oh, yeah. Then you definitely were. I was definitely, right? So, like, at that point, I always felt uncomfortable talking to people about it because it always felt like they're going to think, oh, he's trying to sell me shit, yeah. right? And, like, I, I struggled, like, making friends and stuff because, like, it was always in the back of my head that they're thinking, oh, this guy's just talking to me so he can sell me a goddamn life insurance policy, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, but now, you know, yeah, the confidence comes with the experience and it comes with, honestly, talking to so many people. Like, now that I'm not in that role and that I know that people have nothing to fear from me trying to hard sell them products, <laughs> right? Like, I'll talk about them about anything, right? And like, I, the more people I talk to, the more I realize that, yeah, people don't know. They just don't know, right? And like how really in, in important it is. And like, even, you know, my girlfriend goes to, you know, her, her job and like, you know, I, I've taught her a little bit about, you know, trading and ETFs and like, you know, the TFSAs and all that jazz. And she's found a lot of benefit, like, you know, she had a similar experience to me, which she went to her bank and they were like, here's a GIC and over the few years didn't make any money. But now that she's investing properly with, you know, this brokerage and like, I'm guiding her a little bit. She's like, oh my God, like I'm making dividends every month. And like, you know, I'll look at all this growth that I have. And like, she tells people she works with and they're like, I have no idea how to do any of that or what any of that means. Right. And it's like, even if you don't do it yourself, you should understand like, terminology right the jargon a little bit so that you know you don't get overwhelmed and confused when people talk to you or like you said before you know having somebody try to pull pull the wool over your eyes right like that's that's the worst and and people in any kind of service industry can smell blood in the waters if if there's an an opportunity to you know take advantage for those people who do uh, take advantage of the the unknowing people mm -hmm. they will 
right? And if you can throw a couple of terms at them, and if you can actually know a little bit of what the hell you're talking about, then they understand that you're talking to somebody that at least is willing to invest in themselves. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's not always malicious or anything, no. right? It's sometimes like these, you know, salespeople, they, they genuinely do think that they're doing the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. Or this is just the way they've been taught or the way that, you know, they were trained to do things. And this is what works, right? And like, you know, like I mentioned to you at the beginning of this chat, right, the justification that people use for why they do what they do, right? Yeah, so like, yeah, I, I want to come back to that. Because again, I feel like I'm, you know, talking about salespeople like they're all sharky and they're not like they serve a very important role right because a lot of them are like i try to be educators right and teach people about these things like i said it's just you know the more people i talk to us even in my own demographic right getting you know a little bit older in like our 30s and, and stuff like that they're just at the point in their lives now like millennials are at the point where okay now we have some disposable income what do we do with it? Right. Mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate that I was kind of in that position earlier in life. I was very lucky that, you know, I was able to at a point where I could ask that question, but a lot of people, you know, they're either working their minimum wage jobs or their part-time jobs. And it's not until, you know, they're older that they start to have that a little bit of freedom and they go, okay, well now what do I do with this right now? How do I move forward? What are my next steps? I hope that I can talk to more people and, like I said, just point them in the right direction. Well, I think you're off to the right track. I think oh, that uh, the, the the pressure seems to be off now, which is yeah. uh, is massive, and yeah. and it's it's good. It's good to talk to you about that passion of yours, and you know, even though you're not doing it right now, it's not a money motivator for you. It's still a passion, which is mm -hmm. great. Um, and this is actually going to segue into our next passion, yeah. which is something I'm really excited to talk to you about as well. 